Good evening. It's time to get started this evening, being number 868. 868. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing, I will sing, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. Oh, with my mouth. Next song is 937, and after this song, Alan Payne will have our reading and prayer for this evening, opening prayer. 937. Would you stand, please? You are beautiful beyond description to marvelous for to wonderful for comprehension, like nothing ever seen or heard. Who can grasp your infinite wisdom? Who can fathom the depth of your love? You are beautiful. 
And now you can be seated. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. <clears throat> our wonderful and divine Father in heaven, we come before you this evening, Father, in, in humble prayer. Father, thanking you and adoring you so much for all you've done for us. Father, we truly are a blessed country, a blessed people, and we're so grateful and thankful for that. Father, we pray on this day that our nation celebrates freedom. Father, I hope we would be able to teach and, and show people that the true freedom is freedom from sin and is only can be had through Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for what you bless us with and our our family and friends and all that we have. We pray that you'd be with our congregation here this day, Father, as a whole. We pray that you'd bless everyone gathered here tonight, bless those who couldn't be with us. Father, keep our congregation strong and faithful, always striving to do your word, always striving to learn more about you and to bring more people to Christ. Those of our numbers, Father, who could not be with us this day, we pray, Father, you'd be with them as well. If we have any who might be um, faltering or whatever it may be, Father, we pray that you be with their hearts and turn them back as well. Father, again, we thank you for all that all we have in this country. We thank you for our leaders. We thank you for the soldiers serving our country. We pray that wherever they may be, you will take care of them. Father, again, we thank you so much for all you bless us with and pray that you keep us always strong and faithful. It's in Christ that we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. Contrary, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Next song is number 299. 299. It's another standing song. I uh, won't make you stand, but you're more than welcome to if you want to. 299. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus of Nazareth and wonder how he love me.
Can somebody open the door in the back, please? Thank you. Before lesson tonight, number uh, 602. Song of invitation this evening is 319, if you want to uh, mark that. 319, before lesson number 602. There's a land that is fairer than day, and by faith we can see it afar, for the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there in the Charles V. Romani was an imposing figure. He probably wasn't all that tall, but I was only like three feet tall in high school, and so he probably looked a lot bigger than he really was. He was our principal, and uh, he's a rather imposing figure, big square shoulders, maybe barrel-chested, wavy black Italian hair, horn rim glasses, and he ran a tight ship. At the first meeting of every year, we had all of the students, freshmen through senior, gathered in the auditorium, and seven or eight hundred of us, something like that. And as the time came to start the assembly, he would walk up on the stage and said, uh, give me your attention. 
and everybody would slowly settle down, and he would pick out one person, usually an upperclassman, and say, Bob Jones, in my office now. And that person would hang his head and, you know, slide out of the seats and head back to the office. I don't know what took place when they met. I don't know if he said, you know, I'm just setting the tone. Sorry to call you out, but it looked like you were slowing down a little. I don't know what they talked about. But those of us who saw that two or three years in a row didn't mean anything to us, but it struck fear in the hearts of those freshmen to be called out like that, right on the spot, setting the tone. Charles V. Romani set the tone for a tightly run ship, and, and I don't ever remember seeing him smile or laugh, um, but we didn't have, I don't remember any fights, I don't remember any dress code violations. Um, I, that was a long time ago and my memory may be fading, but he set the tone early and he stuck with that tone. He must have felt that that was important. There's a term uh, in, the New, in the Old Testament that uh, Alan just read for us in Leviticus 10, one and two called strange fire. And so we're gonna talk about strange fire, what that might have been, what it might have looked like, maybe some other Old Testament examples of strange fire, not necessarily being made as an offering, but just other examples, biblical examples of how people took liberties with what God had said to do when they were honoring him and worshiping him. God gives the law to Moses um, at the beginning. Am I on? I am now. I'll stay away from this one. I'll, I'll roam around. God gives the law to Moses uh, with all of the details that he imposes. <laughs> Moses imposes. I just noticed that run. Um, Aaron was the first high priest. And due to the fact that um, Moses, when, when he uh, rejected God's first uh, appeal to him to go back and lead the uh, children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, he said, I, I can't talk in front of people. I get all nervous, blah, blah, whatever excuse he had. And he said, don't worry about that. Aaron will be your mouthpiece. As the story goes on, we don't hear Aaron doing much. Moses does, after all, um, speak on behalf of God and does so rather convincingly. Um, and so Aaron was ready to play a vital role. And when the law was given on Sinai, he becomes the first high priest. And if you go back and you read the details about what all the high priests had to do and what the priests had to do uh, with regard to the tabernacle and later the temple, they had a very serious and demanding job. Aaron was important to God and, and his uh, delivery of the old law for his people. Aaron had four sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. We don't hear that much about Eleazar and Ithamar, Ithamar, but we do hear something about Nadab and Abihu. 
more one one of those two were probably going to be the high priest, probably Nadab, maybe mentioned first, probably the oldest, uh, the next high priest after Aaron died. And so he would have succeeded Aaron. Nadab and Abihu were appointed to go with Moses and Aaron and 70 of the elders at least partway up the mountain to where they got and then um, Joshua and Moses went on to uh, eventually Moses up there by himself to receive the law, to receive the tablets. It says in Exodus 24:10 about this event where they went up that they saw God. Now we know that you can't, you can't see God and live, but they, whatever they saw, they witnessed. And, and participated in a rather um, amazing event, something that should have made an impression on them. Whatever the presence of God was like, surely it was awe-inspiring and extremely intimidating. So they participated in that event, whatever saw God stands like or, or stood for. But the only other two other times they are mentioned other than Leviticus 10 verses 1 and 2 are Numbers 3 and 4, verse 4, and Numbers 26 and 61. And essentially both of those say the very same thing, and this is what it says. But Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered strange fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. So... They didn't get a chance, neither one of them, to become the second high priest. They didn't get a chance to live beyond their sin that God determined was so grievous that the fire that they offered, this strange fire that they offered, he took that fire and it came out and consumed them. This was part of the detail um, in Leviticus, the 16th chapter, and this could be what we're talking about here uh, with what the young men did, assuming they were young men, in verses uh, 12 and 13. Leviticus 16, 12 and 13. These are instructions. There are a ton of instructions about how they were to keep the old law. It says in verse 11, Then Aaron shall offer the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his household, and he shall slaughter the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself. It says, And he shall take a fire pan full of coals of fire from upon the altar, and the two, and the two handfuls of finely ground sweet incense, and bring it inside the veil. He shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord. And it could be that Nadab and Abihu was assisting him in, in doing that. Could have been some other command, but it sounds like offering this fire and this incense was what was going on in Leviticus 10. Someone has counted up. There are 613 distinct commandments in the old law. God wanted it detailed. God wanted it so that it would be difficult for a man to not only keep it, but virtually impossible for him to keep it perfectly. And Christ was the only one who was ever able, able to do that. 
Leviticus 10, 1 and 2 that Alan read for us is a relatively straightforward, maybe even a blunt account of what happened there. And I'm just going to read it again for you. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans and after putting fire in them, placed incense on the fire and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. Strange fire. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Their sin was so grievous in the sight of God that he did not allow Aaron nor his family to mourn, publicly mourn for the death of his two sons. They had to stay in their house and they could not come out. As you know, they, a lot of them would put on sackcloth, ashes, uh, mourn for maybe days, maybe even weeks at the death of a relative. They weren't allowed to do that. And here's what he said. Leviticus 10.3 By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. And before all the people, I will be honored. God had just led his children, the Israelites, out of Egyptian bondage. He had destroyed the Egyptian not only the army but, army, but probably the Egyptian economy and everything else. He wanted to be honored, not only by his people, but he wanted to be recognized by the nations around. And you'll see that phrase coming up in just a moment. That he was the only God. And he was God of the Israelites. And the Israelites should have recognized that and honored that and revered that but they over and over and over again tested him in ways that uh, I don't think any of us would have put up with. God loved them and wanted them to love him in return and so he gave them chance after chance after chance. So just like Mr. Romani set the tone, God I believe here at the giving of the law Up until now, we have had a patriarchal uh, dispensation where patriarchs were the communicators between uh, God and their families. Uh, Now we have Moses with the institution of the Mosaical law, the law given at Sinai. God is making a point, and he's setting the tone, setting the stage that he will be honored. Exodus 14, 4 and 17 says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He will chase after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am Lord. Remember when the Israelites make their way up through, uh, around and up toward Canaan. What does Rahab say? We've heard about y'all. We know that your God is the only God and and is more powerful than any of, of our gods. They had heard about the defeat of the kings, um, Sihon, Og, I think, uh, coming up through uh, as, they, as they got over to Canaan. Ezekiel 28:22 says, Behold, I am against you, Ezekiel speaking for God, O Sidon, and I will manifest my glory in your midst, and they shall know 
that I am the Lord when I execute judgments in her and manifest my holiness in her. This is the destruction of Sidon, I believe is what he was talking about. Then they will know that I am the Lord. God is serious. And when he says in his greatest commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, he means that. He meant it back then, and he means it today. And our love for him at least implies, at least implies that we honor him. So that was a situation with um, Nadab and Abihu and, and establishing the old law and setting the tone there. And I find it very interesting, and I don't think I'm making too much out of this. Um, on the day of Pentecost, God institutes a new law with the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, with his ascension back to uh, his Father in heaven, and with the um, descending of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles on the day of Pentecost, we have a new law. We have a new covenant. We have a, a new way of doing things. And God acts again in a very dramatic fashion. We don't have censers. We don't have incense. We don't have fire for sacrifices. That was all under the old law. But notice what he does in Acts the fifth chapter. Church and the new covenant has been established. There's great sharing among the Christians. There was not a needy person among them. The scriptures say back in chapter 4, all things were common property. People were selling property and, and taking the proceeds from that property and coming and laying it at the apostles' feet. The interest in this communal sharing uh, situation that they had was so strong that people were willing to sacrifice even to that point. If they had property, they sold it and brought all of that money and laid it at the apostles' feet. The example of Barnabas is given just before the end of, of chapter 4 doing that. Not that he was doing anything special. It just introduces us to Barnabas. A lot of people were doing it. Ananias and Sapphira pretended to do the same. They sold property. They brought money and laid it at the apostles' feet just like everyone else was with the impression that they were giving it all. God once again establishes that, establishes that he will be honored among his people. Both die when they are called out for this deception. And we might say, that's a little bit you know, harsh. Why couldn't they ju he just chastise them and, and, and let it go or... Or slap them on the wrist or, or uh, you know, uh, indict them uh, before the people until they repented the way Simon the sorcerer did. Um, but he kills them. And he makes another point here, I believe, with the initiation of a new covenant and a new law that we are going to be pure, we are going to be honest, we are going to be straightforward and we're not going to play these games that Ananias and Sapphira played. Now, I think P. 
Peter said, was this not your money to do with whatever you wanted when you sold that? Was this not property not yours? You could have not even given any of it. But what you have done is you have lied to the Holy Spirit and to God. Not only have you lied to us, but you have tested the Holy Spirit and lied to God. So are these coincidental similarities? I don't think so. I think, I think that God in both situations was setting the tone for how his will was going to be carried out and how the people would honor him among the nations and among the people. Initiation of a new law, Sinai, the church. Sanctification of that law with details and with the establishment of the day of Pentecost. God's people declaring purity and allegiance and love. Actions pleasing to God. And then some dishonored God and the situation. They ignored the strict rules that they should have known God was going to require of them. And they lied to God and tested the Holy Spirit. And as a result, immediate death. Um, in the presence of many. And the result from that, as in the Old Testament, uh, struck fear and respect into the rest of those who witnessed that. Both accounts, I believe, talk about the, the response and how, how others around uh, responded to this. And one was great fear of the power of God to make this happen. And the other one was an increased respect for him to honor him and his will and his commandments. So, can we be guilty of offering strange fire today? Maybe not in the same way that, that Nadab and Abihu did. Maybe not in the same way that Ananias and Sapphira did. But what are we talking about here when we're talking about strange fire? One other example before we get there. Cain, in Genesis, the first, fourth chapter, worshipped without approval from God. What he offered, God did not show favor to or did not approve of what he had done. We can assume, I think safely, that God had told him what he expected. Otherwise... God wouldn't have been justified in showing disapproval. That's why I conclude that obviously he had led that. It could have been, and we've talked about this when we went through the types. Uh, we talked about Abel's sacrifice and Cain's actions. There are about three other uh, references to Cain uh, in, in, the, in the New Testament, actually, that talk about Cain's mm, behavior, his attitude, his personality, and none of those are flattering. The way of Cain is spoken of as being extremely negative. Cain had some problems. And it wasn't just, I don't think, this particular instance that, um, that caused him to, to act the way he did. Cain was a tiller of the field, um, able, a, a keeper of the flocks. And as we know, uh, Cain offered the fruit of the ground. And God did not show favor to that. And when we were talking about types, we talked about um, all of the other examples that we have 
in the Old Testament of, of offering blood sacrifices. Um, immediately, um, or not long after this, chapter-wise anyway, it might have been uh, several hundred years, you have Noah offering a blood sacrifice. You have Abraham offering blood sacrifices. You have a number of people who obviously got the message that sacrifices to God would include blood. And when we talked about the, the series on types, it was for the purpose of showing that animal sacrifices would never forgive the sins of man. It took human sacrifice, willful sacrifice, a willing sacrifice, and the sacrifice of the Son of God for it to do that. Hebrews uh, makes that extremely clear, the book of Hebrews. So we can only conclude that Cain probably offered strange fire, that he took things into his own hands and stretched what he felt or he wanted to the point where he offered that as opposed to what he had been directed to do. Now, if it wasn't what he uh, offered, maybe it was how or why. Maybe it was his something wrong with his attitude. Maybe the love and respect that he had or should have had for God was was something that, that was not there. Maybe he was doing this out of habit or out of, out of rote memory and just going through the motions, whatever that situation was. And that wouldn't have been satisfying to God either, as we will see from, from other situations. Our worship needs to be the reason that we come here on the Lord's Day and the reason for being here and our focus for being here. Um, Acts 5, 23 and 24 says this. That's the Ananias and Sapphira chapter. I have no idea what that passage is. I'm not even going to read it to you because it's totally unrelated. I don't know what that means. Anyway, it still goes to show, and I still think can say this with authority, our worship needs to be the reason we're here. We're here to worship God. Yes, we want to learn more about his word. Yes, uh, we're here to observe the Lord's Supper. Um, and, and Paul preached to them with our example that we have in Acts 20 and verse 7. We pray and we sing, we do other things, but our purpose for assembling here is to worship God. So while we are here, should we be doing anything else other than worshiping God? I would say no. We should try as hard and as, 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 as much as we can to focus our entire energy on worshiping God while we're here in the things that we do and that we, he has commanded and made examples for us to worship him, that should be our focus. There should be no other reason that we are here. We know that it's the first day of the week. There are some uh, that don't do that. Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week, uh, as we talked about uh, this morning during the Lord's Supper in Mark 16, 9, John 21 and 2. It was the first day of the week. Jesus rose. God more than likely selected the first day of the week for Jesus to rise on 
to establish that as something different from the old law, which was the seventh day of the week. First day of the week, new commandment, new law, and it matches the day that our Lord and Savior rose from the grave. So that first day of the week is important. Acts 27, uh, 20 and 7, 1 Corinthians 16 are two mentions of the time when the people gathered on the first day of the week. Seventh day Adventists, some Saturday evening masses uh, for, for some, some groups. Um, and I don't know why. Uh, it seems out of convenience, but uh, they've, they, they've started doing that. I want in our lifetime, probably. Um, Seventh day Adventists have probably been around for a long time. Um, but they think that that seventh day is still the Lord's day rather than the first day of the week. It's not authorized. It's strange fire. Or qualifies at least on some level as unauthorized practices, which I think that's what Nadab and Abihu were guilty of and Ananias and Sapphira. Um, Hebrews uh, 8, 1, and 1 through 3 says this. Now, the main point in what has been said is this. We have such a high priest. It's talking about Christ there. Who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens. A minister in the sanctuary in the true tabernacle. Which God has set up and not man. The tabernacle on this earth was set up by man at God's request temple was there and built at God's request but it was still built by man the temple in heaven is where the true high priest Jesus reigns he sits and reigns says now if he were on earth he would not be a priest at all because he was not of the Levitical tribe and that was what God set up as those who would serve as priests and as high priests had to be Levites Jesus was of the tribe of Judah since there are those who offer gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. That Old Testament stuff was a copy and a shadow of what was going to transpire in the new with Jesus as the supreme high priest and in a sanctuary in heaven, not on this earth. Just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle for see, he says that you make all things by or according to the pattern which was shown to you on the mountain. God gave Moses a pattern to follow. And he warned Moses, don't stray from the pattern. That's the way God works. Worked that way in, in situation with Nadab and Abihu. Showed disfavor for Cain and um, Ananias and Sapphira. And I think he will show disfavor toward us if we mess with his pattern of worship that he has set up for us. So, according to the pattern, we have talked also, uh, we did on Wednesday night, a section on where does our authority come from for the Bible? How do we establish authority in the Bible? And we talked about uh, commands and direct statements that are made to us as readers of God's word and that functions as a very strong um, source of authority for us. We talked about approved apostolic examples 
examples of what the early church did and we're not told that they were sanctioned for that so we can assume that the early church works as examples for us in how we conduct uh, our worship service and how we live our lives. And then there are those things that uh, are, are strongly implied but not one of these other two that we draw an inference from. We infer necessarily that these are true and, uh, and, and function just as strongly as precedent as, as the other two. We don't have time to go into those, but that is how authority is derived. It comes straight from God's word. And that is the pattern on which we build and carry out our worship with God. We should be warned. Don't mess with the pattern. God warned Moses, don't mess with the pattern. When you build the tabernacle, we should take that warning to heart as well. There was a saying back at, uh, I think, around the turn of the century with the restoration period, I believe. Um, speak where the Bible speaks and keep silent where the Bible is silent. And that pretty well sums up that authority piece right above that. If the Bible doesn't say to do it, don't do it. If the Bible is silent on something, don't fill in the blanks. Don't enhance. Don't elaborate. Don't take liberties with the silence of the scriptures. Otherwise, all Nadab and Abihu did was change one thing. They offered this fire over here, which had maybe a different incense in it, or maybe the way they offered it. I am not sure, but it was strange, and God did not approve, and he sanctioned them with their lives as a result. So, if we don't speak where the Bible speaks and keep silent where the Bible is silent, we could be, off, uh, we could be guilty of using unauthorized um, approach to worshiping God, and that would be strange fire. Matthew 5, 22, 23 focuses on our relationships with others. It talks about the man who's there presenting his uh, offering at the altar and he has aught with a brother. What does he say? Leave it there and go straighten out your situation with your brother. Then come back. So when we, and we can take that and apply it in our situation, if we come to our worship, and we have other things on our minds, other people, other situations. I think God is probably saying, Jesus is probably saying, go take care of those things. Get them off your mind. Come and worship me in spirit and in truth. Focus on why we are here. And that reason is to worship God. Why do you come to church? My dad always said, you don't come to church, you don't go to church, you go to worship services. Church is, is not what you go to. What do you receive as a benefit when you're here? Do you feel satisfied that you have checked a box, that you have uh, done what God wants you to do to come and worship on Sunday? That you have shown up and, as Chris said this morning, filled the pew? That's good. It's good that you're here and not someplace else. But if you're not here to worship him and devote yourself to him during that 
hour that we're here. We're not doing what he wants us to do with regard to honoring him. Are you edified in any way? Are you built up? Do you grow? Do you honor God with your thoughts and actions? Remember, he said, I will be honored. Where is your mind and where are your thoughts during worship? If you are not focusing them on God and on what we are doing here, I would think he would say, go and do whatever else is on your mind and come back when you're ready to worship in spirit and in truth. I am here in the right building, but am I doing the right things? Am I doing enough? is a question we should ask ourselves. In closing passages, God laid out in details all of the types and quality of offerings and sacrifices to be made under the old law. Malachi 1, here's what he says. A son honors his father and a servant his master. Then, if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of armies to you, the priest who despise my name. But you say... How have we despised your name? You are, presume, you are presenting defiled food on my altar. That's how you have done that. But you say, how have we defiled you? And in that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. And when you present blind animals for sacrifices, is it not evil for evil? Or when you present a lame or sick animal, is it not evil? My name shall be great among the, nation, the nations. I will be honored. We know under the old law that they had specific requirements of the types of offerings that they were supposed to do and the quality of those offerings. You could not, you had to give your best. You had to give the firstlings of your, of your flock. You could not give a sick or lame or blind lamb as an offering. You didn't need that. Lamb, It probably wasn't going to live that long anyway. There was no giving up of something valued on your part. And he says that's exactly what they were doing. That's exactly what they were doing. Not figuratively, that's exactly what they were doing. You also say, oh, see how tiresome all of this is. And you view it as trivial, says the Lord of armies. And you bring what was taken by robbery and what is lame or sick. And you bring the offering. Should I accept it from your hand? says the Lord. He's implying, no, I will be honored. But cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of the army, and my, and my name is feared among the nations. In other words, I will be honored and I am not satisfied with your version of an offering. Do like I say. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Not everyone says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say on me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, in your name perform many miracles. And then I will de declare to them, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. I don't know who these people were. I don't know if they were actually doing those things or just claiming that they were doing those things. The point is there are people who think they're going to be in heaven that are not. And that's as, that's as boldly as it can be stated. 
people who think that they have done the right things in the right way to please him. And he says, I never knew you. You were never on the same page. Mark 12, 30. You shall love the God with the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This version says four things there. Is there anything left? That's everything we got. And if we love him, our actions will follow appropriately. James 1.27 says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Don't have time to go into why he selected those two, but here's my question. I wonder what God would say pure and undefiled worship looks like. I think it's according to the pattern. And when we start messing with God's pattern, we're offering strange fire. The right what we do when we gather, the right when, source for authority in all that we do, the right how and why, the entire focus is on worshiping God and granting him that honor that he demands and that he deserves. One final passage, Matthew 15, 7 and 9. Jesus is talking to the scribes and Pharisees here. And he says, you hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy about you by saying, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. And as a result, in vain do they worship me. God, in his clarity, in providing all of the detail of the old law, always said, I want your hearts first. Yes, I want these things done. It demonstrates to me that you are attempting to follow my rules for how we're going to do this. He says, I've always wanted your hearts first. We can be guilty of worshiping God with our lips, but our hearts are not in the place they should be. If we are coming here on, whoa, we're coming here on Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, Wednesday evenings, whenever we gather here, more so on Sunday for our corporate worship, and we're not focusing on the things that we're supposed to be focusing on, I think we're dishonoring God. Was their worship pleasing to God? No. They thought they were pleasing to God. And I think it could qualify as strange fire. And so the question is, are we worshiping with our lips today, um, but our hearts are somewhere else? Is our worship in vain? On one level or another, I'm thinking that this might qualify as strange fire. Remember Cain? Remember Nadab and Abihu? Remember Ananias and Sapphira? Remember those who cried, Lord, Lord. Remember those who worshiped God with their lips but not their hearts. Remember those who tried to worship without offering their best. Several examples that I think qualify as strange fire, at least on, on some level. So, that's the conclusion of what we're going to talk about this evening. Um, if there is anyone here that has any need for uh, us to address this evening. Um, if you would like to become a child of God through uh, repentance and confession and baptism and putting on the Lord, uh, we'd be very happy to accommodate you in that, help you do that. And if you have uh, need for the prayers of the congregation, we would ask you to let that be known as we stand and sing.
Remember the bridal shower for Grace Hutchinson and uh, fiance Ryan Gattrell, July 18th. Also remember the upcoming baseball road trip, the sign-up sheets on the foyer board. Uh, this week is Fort Hill Camp Week. Keep the campers and staff in your prayers. VBS, July 25th through 29th, we still need teachers. Uh, on the prayer list, remember Carol, Kristen, uh, Libby Mayo, Rusty Hank, Randy Ash, Steve Ware, Dennis Haney, Tracy Hamrick, um, and others that are in the bulletin as well. Is there any announcements that need to be made? If not, the uh, Lord's Supper is still spread in the room to my left, your right. We will have a closing song and a closing word of prayer, and you can go during that. Number 802. <clears throat> Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trembling at the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the faithful lightning of his terror. 
with me. Father in heaven, we are thankful that we've been able to gather here today and, and worship you. And Father, we just uh, pray that we have honored you in our worship and we're thankful for the lesson we've heard this evening. And, and Father, we just pray that we always worship you in spirit and truth. And Father, we do uh, what uh, your word tells us to do. Father, we are mindful of those who were mentioned here this evening who are sick, and we pray you'll continue to be with them. And, and Father, we uh, ask for Carol Galloway, that uh, special blessing on her, Father, that, that you'll be with her and the doctors attending to her. And, and Father, we pray for Clinton, that, that you'll be with Clinton and give him strength, Father, and, and uh, help him... Uh, Father, to deal with this and, and to uh, be able to support Carol. We just ask that you'll bless that family. Continue to be with the Kristen and the treatments that uh, she's receiving, Father. We pray for good results there. And continue to be with uh, Rusty and, and Hank and, and uh, there's many others, Father. And we just ask that you'll bless them. And those, Father, who are at church camp this week, we just uh, pray that you'll be with them and watch over them and, and keep them safe. And we pray that uh, good things uh, will become of this camp, Father, and, and they'll learn about Jesus. Father, be with us this week. Help us to let our light shine and help us to, uh, to Father, to be able to do good, good works and, and the people that uh, may see your word through us. Forgive us when we fall short. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs> 